Thank you for joining us. The Dacus Report is on the air to defend your religious freedom, your parental rights, and other civil liberties. And now, with the latest information, is your host, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, On today's show, I first would like to uh, talk to uh, one of our attorneys about where we're moving uh, in terms of impacting legislation. Uh, to help us do that, uh, we'd like to bring on right now uh, attorney Matt McReynolds, who is in our Sacramento office in California. Welcome to the program, Matt. Brad, always great to be with you. Thanks for having me today. Now, Matt, you've been with us a long time at Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, you've seen uh, the you know the fact that we take on many, many cases across the country with uh, offices in 16 states, uh, five offices just here in California. Uh, really working hard to, to make a big impact. And many people think of us as just as, as litigators because we have so many lawsuits ongoing all you know, at the same time. Uh, but in reality, we're also, we also play a, a major role on the legislative front as well. Um, and uh, you know, we work hard trying to, to shape uh, some of these, these bills and some of this legislation. What can you tell us about our legislative involvement? Sure. Well, Brad, I've really been excited to see this grow over the last few years, especially because PJI has always been involved in legislation. If we can defeat a bill in the legislature, Brad, not only does it uh, save so much energy on the litigation side, but uh, you know it can prevent some potentially bad outcomes in court and with precedent. And it really gives us an opportunity to to increase our alliances with other groups um, all across the spectrum and to to bless those ministries that are working hard on the policy front. Yeah, I remember there was just, for example, there was a bill that was going to uh, basically order police officers not to be able to go to church if their church was a Bible believing church uh, because of the language in the bill. It was going to be disastrous. Uh, you know, in that regard, and in, 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 in banning the, the Bible, another legislation was effectively going to ban the Bible uh, and, and make it illegal in, in essence. And these were some terrible you know, state bills that were going to become law, uh, but we intervened. In fact, you are sort of noted for uh, testifying before the state legislature in California, and uh, we have other attorneys testifying before legislatures in other states. Uh, but we've seen, I've definitely seen the impact uh, that has prevented us from having to un, uh, undergo major litigation, which takes a lot more time, a lot more efforts. Um, have you seen our legislation, uh, excuse me, have you seen our, our uh, legislative efforts bear fruit on the litigation side? Oh, absolutely, Brad. And the first thing that comes to mind is, for instance, our signature win at the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the legislation to limit the speech of pro-life pregnancy clinics. And Brad, because we had been so involved in the legislative process, we were extremely familiar with that bill, with all of the pros and cons that had been argued for it, with the rationales that had been put forward for that. And so it gave us a real advantage when we did have to litigate it. And that's been true, not only of that bill, but of several others that we have we have had to challenge in court. Yeah, I know uh, having offices uh, on the ground uh, in, uh, in, you know, in states like, you know, not only California, but Oregon, Washington, Nevada. Uh, then we have, you know, also in 
uh, you know, in Texas, uh, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia. Uh, I'm just trying to remember all the ones that New York, uh, Boston, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, um, just south of Columbus, uh, Detroit, Chicago, Milwaukee. We've got a lot of offices, a lot of attorneys, Denver, across the country. And, you know, Michael, I, I seems, excuse me, Matt, I seems that these uh, offices, because they are where they are, are able to do just what you just said. They're able, able to be much more in touch with pending bills, legislation. Uh, they can testify against the legislation. It's not like they're flying in and flying out halfway around the country and not in total out of touch with what's going on. They're there on the ground. They're able to testify and they're also able to help with the, on the litigation side to be much more effective because, as you said, we know what was argued for those bills. We know the, the rational uh, given to those bills. Why is, why is it important to uh, understand uh, the rationale and the reasons given uh, a bill when you're going to, to challenge it when it becomes law? Why, why is that important to have a good understanding of what the reasoning and rationale is? Well, and what the courts will do is delve into the legislative history of a bill, particularly when there's ambiguity about some of its terms. And when we've been involved in shaping that legislative history, in drawing out some of the true rationales and motivations of the other side, that has proved to be a, a game changer when it comes to litigating those bills. And Brad, what you just mentioned about all our other offices, I'm so excited about the new opportunities we have to influence legislation in the rest of the country, because I think what we've done here in California is truly remarkable. I mean, when you step back and think about us being in the most hostile state legislature in the country, I mean, the bills that are proposed here are just almost unbelievable. You mentioned the one about the police officers from last year. I wouldn't have believed it unless I had read and analyzed it myself, how bad it was. And we can take that experience now and replicate that. The success we've had here, we can have even more successes in a lot of the other uh, purple and deep blue states across the country. It also enables us to move much quicker and faster than, say, some other organization that has just one office, uh, you, know, and, and, you know, and then they just uh, try to, uh, the last minute, fly in and, and file a lawsuit. Uh, it actually enables us to be much faster in our litigation because we're more in tune with what's going on, like the uh, like the lawsuit, you know, uh, defending pro-life clinics from having to uh, be forced to have a sign in the waiting room telling women where they can get a free or low-cost abortion and the phone number to call. That was outrageous to force that upon faith-based private, uh, you know, pregnancy clinics that are pro-life pregnancy clinics. It's like it's like having a law requiring. Alcoholics Anonymous to have a large sign posted in their, their meeting room uh, telling men where they can get a free uh, beer or, or booze. So it makes, it makes no sense. Because we knew it, um, you know, we were the first to file a lawsuit to challenge that. And then eventually the, the whole case, all the cases went up to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, I think that that's very, very telling moving forward. Oh, absolutely, Brad. And it gives us not only the advantage, but the credibility on uh, <coughs> on the ground here to know who, uh, not just who um, the legislators are, which can be very, very important, but who the other uh, alliances are that we can work with and benefit, you know, other other ministries, because it's not just 
us battling these legislation. Um, but honestly, Brad, sometimes we're the only legal voice amongst the other various Christian policy groups and conservative policy groups battling a bill. So they turn to us and really depend on our analysis. I remember once when I testified before the legislature in California, and on the other side was the ACLU, and the ACLU uh, just had some flippant statements to make in support of their radical leftist legislation that they were supporting. And we did quality legal analysis, very deep, very thorough. Uh, and we made the other side look like they're just bumbling idiots, like they, they didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, because we did a very thorough job. So we not only testify, but we also provide high quality legal research for these legislators to be able to rely upon uh, to really make a difference. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of pro-family, great or you know, conservative groups, uh, pro-faith groups, pro-life groups out there, you know, and they're at the state capitals uh, of America, you know, weighing in. But the reality is, at the end of the day, legislators are going to look to attorneys experts, constitutional experts on whether or not thumbs up or thumbs down when it comes to legislation. And that's where we're pay, playing a key role in that we have all these offices. No other organization has offices like we do across the country. I think that's very, very significant uh, moving forward. Now, I understand, uh, Matt, that there have been a, a couple of bills in California uh, that have just been introduced that would take away parental rights. Uh, what does uh, our audience need to know about these two bills uh, that are just been authored in, in the state of California? Well, as background, Brad, uh, all the state legislatures operate a little bit differently in terms of their timing. And so the California legislature is just getting underway and we're in the season where new legislation is being introduced. And so we had anticipated that there were going to be at least a couple of really bad uh, bills on the front of limiting parents' rights in the realm of vaccines. And so those have just appeared um, within the last few days. In fact, one of them was posted late uh, last night. And so we've just had a chance to go over that. And these are Senate Bill 866 and Senate Bill 871. And what Senate Bill 866 does, Brad, if you can imagine this, is it would actually remove parents from the process of consenting to vaccines for their minors 12 and older, and it would give those 12 to 18-year-olds the ability to consent to, to the vaccines, and in particular, the COVID-19 vaccine. It's the, the one that's most prominent right now, without their parents being part of the process. The parents who may be the only ones who know that child's full medical history, who may be the only ones who know about their potential allergic reactions and other negative side effects. So that's the first one. Okay, so uh, I see a real problem here because California schools have been notorious uh, with uh, violating the rights of parents, trying to skirt you know, the rights of parents. So in this scenario, we could have a child that let's say they're in, in seventh grade, eighth grade, they're at school, um, their peers are being vaccinated. They feel very self-conscious, especially at that age. They don't want to stand out. And then the school says, okay, um, for everyone that gets vaccinated today, uh, we're going to give you uh, a free pizza at lunchtime, or we're going to give you, you know, something that they like, you know, um, these kids 
are going to they're going to get vaccinated, uh, especially if, you know, if it was like, say, five years ago, they had their allergic reaction. The kid may not even remember it. You know, he's 12 years old. I was like, you and he's seven. You know, that's like forever for a child in junior high. So they get vaccinated. And then potentially, let's say the child has a major reaction because he's not aware of his prior medical condition. Uh, Matt, I mean, uh, you know, is there any liability that we're facing here? Does this legislation basically effectively take away liability too, or do we know that yet? Brad, you know, most people don't realize this, but vaccine manufacturers already have incredible protection from liability um, and, and for nearly all vaccines. This is just, this is not well known, but it's extremely well documented because there's a separate court that it was created to dispense uh, funds to, in Washington, D.C. to those who have been injured by vaccines. And they've dispensed more than $3 billion into those who have been, in fact, injured. This is not a conspiracy theory. It's not a, you know, an urban legend. This, this court does exist. I've read that court's decisions. There are a lot of people who claim and have been injured by all different kinds of vaccines. And the vaccine manufacturers have huge liability that they don't have for other types of drugs and pharmaceuticals. Wow. Okay. So I'm trying to think what a parent would do to protect their children from potentially being vaccinated. Uh, if it's something, particularly if it's something that could be medically harmful for the child or just violate the religious convictions of those parents. So what the parents feel called by God to do with regard to that child. Uh, I mean, they could obviously, they could leave the state of California like many have already done. Uh, are there any remedies though? I mean, could they, could they file an opt-out form? Could they file a personal belief exemption or would this, law effectively truncate that and say, no, the 12-year-old has this absolute right of deciding for themselves, uh, irrespective of anything that the parent does. Well, Brad, that leads right into the other piece of legislation that we need to talk about, which is Senate Bill 871. 871 would take away the last remaining personal belief exemption that does exist here in California for the COVID-19 vaccine. Okay, so right now, as things stand right now, uh, parents can file for file a an opt-out form, if you will, laying claim to a personal belief exemption uh, in the event that there was a, a mandate. And we're gonna talk about that in a moment, uh, the latest mandate. So they could they could file something like that and their beliefs would have to be respected. The child could not be forced to be vaccinated uh, presently under California law. But if this is passed, that's gone. And there is no protection for the parents uh, unless there's, I assume medical conditions would still be allowed to be validated. But even then, that's going to be very difficult, right? Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right, Brad. And this can be pretty tricky for parents to understand because the law is a little bit complicated here on this. Um, several years ago, at six uh, years ago, the legislature removed all personal belief exemptions for school vaccines that were then in existence. And it did something kind of unusual um, at the time. It left in place a personal belief exemption for new vaccines that might be later added to the list. 
So now that we have this new COVID-19 vaccine or vaccines, that falls under this, uh, what had been a very small exception that's now become a huge exception to the school vaccine laws. And so the legislature is moving as we felt surely they would to try to eliminate that last vestige of hope that parents have. Yeah, this is very serious because I know many parents uh, will go ahead and take their kids out of public schools. I understand this would also apply to charter schools and kids also in private schools. Is that right? Yeah, Brad. Uh, and as I was going back through the legislation that, um, as I mentioned, was just posted within the last 24 hours, um, it makes clear that homeschoolers are still exempt as long as they're not involved in classroom-based instruction, which a lot of homeschoolers are. And so uh, even for them, this legislation has um, a real dark side to it. Yeah, classroom-based instruction. Uh, so that could potentially apply to uh, like a, a homeschool co-op possibly, where they're all meeting in the same place uh, and therefore affect those homeschoolers as well and require those homeschoolers to be vaccinated against their will. That's the, that's the concern. I guess that could be litigated or challenged potentially. What, what, what is your take on that? Yeah, it is going to be very hard fought. And what we expect to see, Brad, is for sure intense opposition to both of these pieces of legislation. We're going to plan to be uh, very involved in that, in the middle of that, offering our um, best um, legal analysis to that. And so it's going to come down to, you know, how many parents join us and get involved in the democratic process as this moves through. The legislators are going to need to hear from them very directly about how this will impact their families. Now, if there's parents out there that have their children right now in a public school, private school, charter school, uh, and they heard about Governor Gavin Newsom's proclamation that there's going to be a vaccine mandate uh, for all children down to the age of five once it's the, uh, the FDA approves these vaccines down to the age of five, which I think are right now either done recently or, or for at least one of them or will do so soon. Uh, those, a lot of parents there are, are panicking. Uh, where can they go uh, to get a, an opt-out form for their personal beliefs uh, once, this is, once this comes down? And uh, where, 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 what's the, what, what do you tell them at this point? A couple things, Brad. First of all, uh, like you said, um, you alluded to a lot of the fear and the panic that's out there. We're encouraging parents to take a deep breath because as of right now, there still are strong legal protections for them. And we've been in court within this past month uh, fighting to preserve those protections in a couple of different cases. Uh, and two, as this situation unfolds, uh, PJI anticipates that we'll be developing an opt-out form. Uh, we, have to, we have to wait just a little bit to make sure that it's fully conforming to, to any state requirements there may be for it. So we anticipate having that, um, but certainly before the start of the next uh, school year. And they just need to stay really closely attuned to our email updates and other updates. So they'll, they'll know exactly when that comes down. Yeah. And there's, there's two things that they can do. One, I know they could register on our website 
to to get the the personal belief uh, opt out or exemption form. Uh, that's really easy to do, and it's at, at pji.org. If you're in a different state, say like Washington State or you know not California, but you discover that your state may be doing the same thing, uh, taking away personal belief exemption, making there be a mandate for all the kids to be vaccinated, uh, you know, in your in your public schools, private schools, charter schools, go to our website and go ahead and, and register to to get that. Uh, opt-out form, personal belief or religious belief exemption form, uh, pji.org. That's where you go. P for Pacific, J for Justice, I for Institute.org. And also you can sign up to get our Legal Insider, and that'll keep you updated with what's taking place. And things are changing all the time, uh, just rapid fire. Uh, so it's, uh, it's very important for people to be uh, up to date so they can protect their children, protect their families, and uh, follow the, what God wants them to do in a very wise, discerning way. Uh, Michael, uh, to change the topic a little bit here, the Supreme Court uh, looks like there's a good chance that they may overturn Roe versus Wade. However, some lawmakers are already preparing for legislation, uh, expecting that to potentially happen. Uh, what does uh, every American need to know about these, these bills, these state laws, state bills uh, that uh, could uh, be impacting uh, the ability uh, for uh, the the unborn, the preborn, to be protected uh, at a, on a state level, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, which it looks like there's a good chance it will be. Uh, sure, Brad. Well, as as you know, we just uh, observed the somber 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. We all hope and pray that it does not live to see its 50th anniversary next year. But for many of us in the pro-life community. Uh, through the years, I think there's been a little bit of confusion as to the likely effects of overturning Roe versus Wade. And so oftentimes uh, pro-life activists assume that overturning Roe v. Wade would mean the end of all abortion in America. And what is more likely to happen, uh, the Supreme Court could do that by recognizing the personhood of the unborn, by granting them constitutional rights, But what it is more likely to do if it overturns Roe v. Wade is return the issue back to the states. And so what that would set up would be a very sharp divide between red states and blue states where you might see and you probably would see states like California and on the West Coast, as well as in the Northeast, the deep blue states, doing more abortions than they've ever done before. So we've just had this rollout. Uh, a number of different um, legislative proposals I'll get to in a minute that California lawmakers are already planning to roll out to greatly increase the number of abortions and how we pay for abortions as as taxpayers. And we expect many other blue states to to follow California's lead on this. So what are some of those bills that we're talking about that that are so alarming? Sure. So the legislatures, uh, legislators and activists um, have just announced a long, long list of proposals, Brad, more than uh, 45 of them, I believe, at last count. I'll just mention a few of the most egregious ones. We're talking about not only taxpayer funding for all abortions in our state, all abortions, uh, rich, poor, people who can afford it, you and I paying for that, Brad. We're talking about paying for essentially abortion tourism, to pay for transportation, plane flights, lodging, childcare, 
and the list goes on to bring women in from other states, other parts of the country to get their abortions in California. And if that weren't enough, Brad, we're talking about even paying for things like lost wages for for them to travel to California and get their abortions. And that's just that's the tip of the iceberg on this. So it's it's it makes no there's no economic advantage for California to uh, pay for women to you know fly them in hotel pot, lost wages etc and then pay for their abortion. There's no economic advantage. This is just out of the zeal of the legislature in California to kill preborn babies. This is the just the I look at this as just a the barometer of the depth of evil that has overtaken the legislature in California. And Mike, you know, Matt, I'm so concerned that we're going to see this continue in, like you say, in other states, other blue states. And I think in the end, it could just result in a lot of people, um, you know, leaving California, leaving blue states, pro-baby killing states with this such evil. Pacific Justice Institute invites you to join in the fight to protect our religious liberties. Consider volunteering in one of our California offices or become an affiliate attorney. Visit our website to find out more, pji.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our Legal Insider to keep updated on all of our current cases. Pacific Justice Institute, together we can make a difference. So folks, just remember, It's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms. Thank you for listening in today. To find out more about the Pacific Justice Institute or the Dacus Report, call 916-857-6900 or log on to pacificjustice.org.